You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to renewlifechurch.com. Oh, what a joy to be here. <laughs> Can I just start there and say like, just what a joy to be here today. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, my name is Stephen Williamson. My wife and I just recently in July moved from Midland to Lubbock to be a part of the, uh, the hub staff there um, for Renew Life. And really what that's looked like practically is it's, it's looked like not a lot of travel um, for the past several months. I've been here just a handful of times doing worship and such, but we're like finding strides, finding rhythms, and we are living life to the full. And we love it. And we love Lubbock. And God has been so, so faithful at every turn. Um, it hasn't been with, uh, without heartache in a lot of ways. For those closest to me, uh, Cody in particular, I know like for about six months leading up to the transition, I would find myself like in tears. Like, I, this just, it hurts. I don't, I don't want to leave. Like, these are our people. This is where we've built a life. This, these are our friends and all the things. And uh, the relational component was what was most difficult, right? I mean, we talk about spiritual family in our church all the time. And um, just cause we're, you know, church staff speak, whatever, worship team, yet that doesn't change the fact that this is our spiritual family. And so it was tough in leaving, but let me just say this, like the Lord has been so, so faithful in relationships and establishing us in uh, the health of our kids and our life. And so honestly, like we're, we're really, really happy, fulfilled and satisfied, but that really starts with, we gave the Lord our yes. We gave the Lord our yes. And um, I say all that to say this, it is really, really good to be here today. It's really, really good to be with you guys. Golly, I see the just faces, people we've ran miles with, we've prayed with, we believed with, like it just, it feels really, really good to be here today. So anyway, that's my, a sentimental uh, lead in. But anyway, love you guys. You also are way more uh, attractive than the Lubbock church. Let me just say, <laughs> can we cut that from the podcast? Is that possible to do? No. I just want to make sure you're like on my side today as we dive into the word. Um, anyway, let's pray. Can we do that? Lord, we love you. Thank you for today. Thank you. Please redeem what I just said, Lord, in your redemptive nature albeit true. No. Lord, would you just meet us here today? Um, Lord, we've received you well. We've worshiped you. We've praised you. Uh, you've got promises and declarations in your word that where two or more are gathered, you're there. You've, you've given us the promise that you, that you inhabit the praises of your people. So these are words that point to the reality of the fact that when we put you first and we leverage our lungs for your praise, you show up in the room. And that's evident and it's felt. But Lord, I pray that that would be experienced today. Experienced through the transformative word of God. So Lord, we just collaboratively as spiritual family in a room, Lord, we actually just receive you even deeper into our lives. Lord, we want what you want. If you want to change us, change us. If you want to challenge us, challenge us. If you want to encourage us, encourage us. Whatever you want to do, God, my answer is yes. And if you're with me this morning, would you just say yes? Yes, in Jesus' name, <laughs> amen, amen. 
It's going to be a good day. I'm going to teach a message um, called Behind, Beside, Before, the nature of our good father. Our ultimate call and responsibility is to live in daily union with the father. Daily union with the father is our goal. Oftentimes we live life really, really aware of the distance that we feel between us and God, right? Whenever you're in the midst of a fight, an argument with your spouse, sometimes I don't always feel like God is up in there. You know what I'm saying? Whenever you're dissatisfied and you're disgruntled at work and you got bypassed for a promotion, but it's like, sometimes it's easy to perceive that there's distance between us and the Father. But the reality is this, the Father is never far away. The, the Father's heart is never far away. The Father's desire for your good is never far away. And I believe that what is going to be presented by way of a challenge this morning is our ability to understand that, not just his head knowledge, but his heart knowledge. Daily integrated union with the Father is our highest goal. Practically, here's what that looks like. It's like, it's one thing to have union with the Father and to feel the like, like the burning and the excitement. Like we like, when we got drum breaks and piano, like the loud worship, it's like snot bubbles and tears. And it's like, oh God, you're so real. And you're having it. like, it's so easy to get into a room and feel those type of experiences. But daily union with the Father looks like not just reserving that space in your soul for a Sunday morning. It looks like engaging in that space with the Father on the regular. Come on, I'm talking about union with the Father when you're in an argument with your spouse. I'm talking about union with the Father when you're disciplining your kid and it's like the fifth spanking and you're like, please just listen to me. I'm tired. Like, <laughs> I'm talking about union with the Father in work and dissatisfaction and, 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 and fear. I'm, I'm talking about union with the Father that is so integrated that there is no space between your heart and the Father's heart for the enemy to seep in and make you believe and or perceive that the Father is far from you because I will assure you that the Father is never far. The Father's heart for you is never far. And so this morning we're gonna camp for the majority of the message in Genesis chapter three, if you wanna turn there with me. And we're gonna explore the nature of our good father, that he is behind us, that he is beside us, and yes, he is before us. That should give us confidence in our daily life. Come on, let's go to Genesis chapter three. We're gonna start in verse eight to set the stage for what we're about to read. So this is post-creation, okay? God has created everything. He separated the sky from the earth, the sun from the moon. He's, he's formed all the animals, the humans, and now they're living in this perfect bliss. Imagine a world with no conflict. Imagine a world with no shame, no understanding of sin, no sin consciousness. I'm talking about a unity with the Father that has never been disrupted. Come on, I want you to understand the context of the story today. I want you to immerse yourself in the story today. This is the reality that Adam is living in. This is the reality that the Father is living in with Adam and with Eve. So let's pick up in verse eight. It says, 
when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Where are you? I just want you to be really honest and even ask yourself this morning that question. Where are you? Did a reference as I began speaking today strike a nerve? Is there contention? Is there discontentment? Is there frustration? Is, there this? Is it a mountaintop? Is it a valley? Like where, where are you? I believe that your honest evaluation of where you are in authenticity is what will set you up for the Father to take you into the next chapter of your life. Because where you are is actually your non-negotiable starting point. Every fear, every failure, every victory, every success, all of it, like everything, where you are today is your non-negotiable starting point. I wanna make a couple of observations about Genesis chapter three and these couple verses that we read. The first observation I wanna make is this, is oh, how quickly discontent can set in. Mind you, this is, this is bliss. There's never been a, a, there has never been a distance between the father and his son. There's never been any reason to believe that, the God is not, that, that God is not overwhelmingly for Adam. He's got nothing that would ever indicate that. He's got no reason to believe that. God has been walking with him continually, day in and day out. He's given him authority to rule and to subdue. He has given him everything he could ever desire. Yet, Adam finds himself in this place where discontent and the curiosity of what the father might be withholding from him is worth trading the connection that he's living in. The daily integrated union with the father, oh, how quick discontent can set in. I want you to just be really honest with yourself. Are you discontent with the father's hand? Are you discontent with the father's prevailing hand and his plan and his purpose? Further, are you discontent with the leader that's been put in your life, the spiritual father, the spiritual mother, are you finding yourself in a place of discontentment? I will promise you that discontent, 100 of the time, when not addressed appropriately, it will create negative fruit in your life. I don't know a better way to say that. Discontent, allowing yourself to become disgruntled frustrated because of what people are not doing, projecting things onto them that they did or didn't commit to, becoming disgruntled and dissatisfied will always produce negative fruit in your life. Second thing I wanna observe is that verse eight, verse eight says this, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the timestamp on this, the, uh, the, the, the descriptive words about the time of day, the condition of the evening actually indicates to me that this was a familiar circumstance. This wasn't just a one-off deal where God wandered into the garden just to, to check up on Adam and Eve. No, it was the cool breezes in the evening. 
This tells me that the father actually cherished these moments with a father and a son as they walk in union together. How many of you have kids? Yeah, so you're well aware then that there are some things that like only you guys understand. It's like you make eye contact. It's like, all right, every, every kid knows mama's eyes. You know what I'm saying? Mom makes those eyes at you and you're like, my life's about to end. This is... Then there's the bright side, the fun side. There's the inside jokes. There's the inside jokes. There's the nudges. There's the relational equity that's cultivated in time and over time. The things that only you understand. Come on, I want to paint a picture to you of this. We're talking about a father and a son. We're not talking about a far off God who's never made connection, who created him just to observe and see what happened. We're talking about a loving father who takes time out of his day on a regular basis to immerse himself into his son's story as they walk in the evening in the cool breeze. And I can just imagine the inside jokes. I can imagine as they're walking through the garden, the things that only Adam understands that the father says. I can imagine them belly laughing as the father pushes Adam into a bush. And he's like, I'm... I want you to immerse yourself in the story and the reality of this. This is a father and this is a son. And they've never, ever one time had any type of disconnection whatsoever. We can become really familiar and desensitized to conflict. Come on, I live in it. You live in it. The father had never actually tasted distanced from his son. This is before any type of separation has been experienced. So my third observation is this, is that when the father walks into the garden and asks the question of his son, where are you? It's not coming from this place of like, Adam, where are you? I heard heard what was happening, where are you? But I actually, like I hear the father's heart as he walks into the garden, expecting his son to meet him because it's the time that they walk in intimacy and connection. And I just imagine the father asking with sincerity and compassion in his heart, son, where are you? This is, this is what we do, son. This is, this is where we talk, son. This is where you tell me the stories of the day, son. This is the dinner table, son. This is where you tell me why on earth you named that thing a kangaroo. That's a strange word, son. I'm talking about an intimacy between a father and son. So when the father comes into a garden, he doesn't push his sleeves up and ask a question demanding his presence. Where are you? Get out out of your room. Come here. Get in this living room right now. You need to talk to your mother. (laughs) I know what he's saying is, where are you? You see, God is omniscient. His, his presence is everywhere. His presence has gone before us. His presence surrounds us. We'll read about that later on in, in another scripture in Ephesians. But he actually knew the answer to his own question. So why ask? Why ask the question, where are you? It's because the father cherishes the two-way conversation that creates connection between the heart of a father and the heart of a son. Where are you? 
So as I ask you the question this morning, where are you? I want you to hear it not as my words, as a speaker on a platform. I want you to hear the words of a father that would ask you, where are you in your story? Are you lost in sin? Are you lost in shame? Are you hiding? Are you full of regret? Are you full of dissatisfaction? Are you disgruntled? Are you insecure? Where are you? The reason the father comes into the garden and asks questions is because he's actually more interested in intimacy than he is just reading Adam's mail and telling him what he had done wrong. This is the same God we serve. The intimacy that he created Adam for, the intimacy that he created Eve for, this is the God that we serve. This is the God that we call dad. If he truly never changes, then his intentions don't change either. His intentions for connection with you, they've never changed. Don't you sense the urgency in the father's voice? See, what the father recognized in a moment in the garden was the sting of the loss of intimacy with his beloved. I want to continue reading in verse 10, verse 10 of Genesis 3. This is immediately after God's question, where are you, in verse 9. It picks up. Adam says this. He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. So the father asks another question. Who told you that you were naked? There's no response from Adam. I want you to notice that. So the father asks another question. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And then the man replies, I want you to get this. I want you to observe how quick Adam slipped into self-preservation. The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. It's our fault. I just, I see this exchange like between God and Adam and he's asking him these questions. Where are you? I was, I was naked and I hid. And then he asks him one more question. It says this, who told you that you were naked? Adam doesn't give a response. I could see God like, come on, if you're a parent, you get this. I could see God asking Adam like, well, who told, who told you that? Who told, son, who told you that you were naked? And Adam goes, And so he stands there with that look on his face, right? Of like, I don't really, I don't want to talk about it. I don't, and then, so the father goes, did you? Okay, the, the Lord's like, all right, I'm going to give you a layup here. Did you eat from the tree? You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like whenever you're talking to your little one and you're like, hey, I told you no, no candy before dinner. They got chocolate all over their face. And they're like, I, I, didn't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and then it's like, did you eat the chocolate before dinner? And they're like, I, they, your, other, your son gave it to me. I, just, I don't know what happened to me. So. It's just interesting to, me, interesting to me how quick self-preservation can set in. I think if we could change our perspective and understand that the father's correction is never separate from his desire for connection, it would change the way that we engage with the father even in situations of consequence, 
It's inevitable. Like they had instructions, they broke the rules. So there's this inevitable thing that has to happen that's called consequences. Like you, you knew the rule, you broke the rule. So the father kindly and gently invites Adam into this conversation. Where are you? What did you do? Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? He welcomes them into this conversation because consequences are necessary. But I see the father as he's asking these questions, coming to the realization of the severity of the disconnect that he is now experiencing between him and his son. The tear in his heart that says we're not what we used to be. So in verse 13, let's move on. It's interesting. Adam goes into self-preservation in verse 12. This is the one, it was her fault. She gave, she gave me the fruit, I ate it. And then verse 13, get this. I think this is so in the nature of a woman too. Verse 13, the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? Didn't, no layups here. She just goes, what have you done? And then she says, the serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. Very direct, very straight up, <laughs> very honest. No self-preservation involved. Now I wanna pay close attention to what happens in this moment. The father has caught the full context. The father knows the full story. Adam, what happened? Where are you, son? We're supposed to be walking. Did you eat from the tree? He's not answering. Turns to the girl, what happened? And she goes, I got deceived and I hate the fruit. So now the father has the full picture of what happened. Now I want you to understand what happens next in verse 14. This is after the woman says, that's why I ate it. Verse 14, immediately after. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, he changes his gaze from his beloved, from his son and from his daughter. And he fixes his eyes on the serpent. And he says, because you've done this, you are cursed more than any and more than all the animals, domestic and wild, you'll crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And it will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Why did he turn his attention from, from the ones that are gonna experience the consequences, the ones that broke the rules, the ones that created the separation, the ones responsible for the tear between their hearts? Why did he turn his attention from them to the serpent? It's because he needed his son and his daughter to observe that he will violently eradicate anything that's causing distance between his heart and theirs. So in verse 14, he found it so much more consequential to say, watch this. There's separation, there's consequences, and that's inevitable. We don't get to remove that from the, we don't get to remove that from the story but it points to the fact that God is so interested in intimacy and connection with you. The correction of the father is never separate from the desire for connection from your father. Here's the reality about consequences. Consequence the nature of consequence is actually to reinforce and to strengthen connection. The nature of consequence is to reinforce and to strengthen connection. I can't tell you how many times we've disciplined our kids. You know where they wanna be found immediately after? Right in my lap. 
the nature of consequence is to actually reinforce connection. So I wanna ask you again, as we dive a little deeper, where are you? The father would ask, where are you? Where's your heart? Do, do you feel far away? Do you feel connected? Do you feel disconnected? Sin, fear, shame, insecurity, disappointment, where are you? Our God is a jealous God. You ever heard that? Do you know that? God is a jealous God. There, so there's actually, there's a connotation with the word jealous and it's a negative connotation, right? She be jealous. So jealous. There's a negative connotation with the word jealous. But let me just define jealous as the Lord defines it, all right? So jealous is vigilant in guarding a possession. We were purchased with the price. That makes us the father's possession. So he is jealous for you in his vigilance and guarding you as a possession. And number two, he is intolerant of rivalry or unfaithfulness. Intolerant of rivalry or unfaithfulness. I'm a massive Dallas Cowboys fan. Anybody else? You know what I'm saying? These are God's people over here. This is, this is, <clears throat> you'd stop, don't clear your throat and discontent for my stance with the Dallas Cowboys, my man, I'm joking. So I, uh, I, got, I got this really cool Roger Staubach jersey, me and my son, my dad and my brother-in-law, uh, we went to a Dallas Cowboys game a couple weeks ago. Uh, we saw them play the Seahawks, they won that game. Hey yo. And uh, played the Eagles last week, won that game too. Hey yo. And uh, anyway, we're actually just gonna pray for the Cowboys for the rest of the sermon today. I'm joking. <laughs> No, I, so I, I've got this Roger Staubach jersey and last Sunday was a major game for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, major implications, Philadelphia Eagles, anyway. And I was like, baby, I think um, my wife and I, Michaela, we've been married going on 12 years. March will be 12 years. And uh, yeah, so it's, she's amazing. And she's, uh, she will tell you exactly what she thinks. Exactly what she thinks. And she's kind and she's loving and she's wonderful. But uh, I was like, baby, I think I'm gonna wear my Roger Staubach jersey um, to church on Sunday, just like support the Cowboys. You know what I'm saying? And she goes, I don't think that's a good idea for you. And I'm like, well, why? <laughs> and she goes, well, she said, babe, there's, there's like two categories of people that wear Cowboys jerseys. Cowboys, so there's two categories of people. She said one category is the type of person, like my man up here, like I was, I was complimenting him on his Cowboys jersey a second ago. Like they just make it look good. Like they got muscles, they got like, you know what I'm saying? They wear like Nikes or whatever, like they look good. And she said, and then there's this other category of people who wear Dallas Cowboys jerseys and they're trashy. And she, she told me, she said, uh, she, said, I, she said, I think with all you got going on up here right now, <laughs> she said, I think I'm, I'm just, I fear you'll fall into the latter category. <laughs> I did not wear a Dallas Cowboys jersey last week. I didn't, I didn't do it. That's the observation I want you to make. I've also been fixing my hair a little bit more. Uh, why? Because I'm jealous for her. Because I want her to look at me and go, hmm, that's my guy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just gonna let it simmer. 
This one's going on YouTube, so I'm just gonna pose so she can watch it back. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Jesus. The term jealous doesn't always have to have a negative connotation. Jealousy actually solicits a response. The father is jealous for you. He's jealous for connection with you. The reason he uses strong language about jealousy is clearly indicated in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 14. It says, you must worship no other gods for the Lord whose very name is jealous is a God who is jealous about his, come on, read it with me, his, oh, it's not, his relationship with you. He's jealous for his relationship with you. Relationship speaks to connection. Do you wanna know why he's jealous about you? It's because he wants to be connected with you. He wants to be connected with you. Even going to one of the most common scriptures in all of the Bible, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting eternal life, depending on which version you be reading everlasting life. What's that speak to? It speaks to the nature of our God who wants to live in connection with you for all of eternity. All of eternity. The nature of God is that he's omniscient. Omniscient means that he knows everything as in the story is told by an omniscient narrator. The nature of God is that he's also omnipresent. That means that he exists in the past, the future, the present, all at the same time. He sees everything, he knows everything. Now there's this natural response that's gonna happen inside of you as a result of knowing that that's the nature of our God. One of the things that could potentially happen inside of you is there could be this response that says, but I, oof, I don't like the, I don't, I don't like the thought of that. I don't, I don't wanna be known. There's pieces of my life that aren't clean. There's pieces of my life that people don't, don't need to see. Don't, I don't want them to see it. And it elicits this like fear inside of you of being known or being discovered. The second, and this is the place in which we are designed to live day in and day out in daily union with the Father, day by day and decade by decade. And that's the position that says, oh, I'm so glad I'm known. <laughs> I'm so glad that the Father sees me. I'm so glad that he's omniscient. He knows everything I've done and everything I'm gonna do. And the reason I can have confidence in my knowledge of the fact that he knows and sees everything is because he's already told me the price that he paid to live in intimate connection with me. Come on, that's not changing. His desire for connection, his desire for intimacy with you, that's never changing. I'm gonna read Ephesians chapter four. I'm gonna start in verse eight as we wrap up our time together. It says, that is why scriptures say, this is speaking of Jesus. When he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. Listen very closely to verse 10. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. 
yet we pretend as though we can create distance between us and him somehow. He filled the entire universe with his presence, the highest of highs, the lowest of lows, all of the depths, the east to the west. He filled the span of all of his creation in this universe. Why? So that he could stay in constant connection with you. He tasted the sting of disconnection in the garden whenever he walks in and says, Adam, where are you? He tastes the sting of disconnection from his only begotten son as he hangs on a cross and he says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? He tasted the sting of separation from, from his people and he decided, enough is enough. I've got to fill every aspect of this entire atmosphere, this universe, this galaxy with my presence so that I don't have to exist a single day without intimate connection with you. That's what this is about. I promise you that if there's a perceived disconnection between you and the father, he's not the problem. So I just wanna ask, where are you? And understand that the Father's heart, the Father's kindness, yes, the Father's correction, in connection with you, he's, he's never been closer. There's no sin, no shame, no doubt, no disbelief, no fear, nothing, no high, no low, could separate us from the connection that the Father desires for us. Behind, beside, before. In Psalm 139, it says that you were knit together in your mother's womb. He is behind you. He is beside us. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble, Psalm 46 tells us. Ever-present. That means ready and available right now. Ever-present help in time of trouble. And this one is really comforting. He is before us. Isaiah 46 teaches us that the Lord knows the end from the beginning. And he desires connection with you. Would you just close your eyes? I wanna read something over you. As you evaluate in your own heart of where am I? I want you to take that question to the Father as well. Where am I? And I wanna read this over you. Acts 17, verse 27 and 28 says this. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. Thank you, God, that there's actually no height, there's no depth that could separate us from your love. God, so good to know that there's nothing that I could do, say, think, believe that could actually separate me from connection with you. So right now I just renounce the fear and I renounce the shame 
that says that you're too far gone or this applies to somebody else, but not you right where you sit. He went to the highest high, to the lowest low, to fill the universe with himself for connection with you. So Lord, thank you for that. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.